The Bharatvarta Weekly is where we discuss the week's most relevant news and events in a calm, measured and interesting way, live with your favorite guests. So if you want to really appreciate the news and actually benefit from it, skip the news and watch the weekly. Hello everyone. Namaste. Welcome to the 100th edition of the Bharatvarta Weekly. That's right. You heard it right. It's the 100th edition of the Bharatvarta Weekly. We've been doing this for uh, 100 weeks now. When we started out, I mean it was a very simple hypothesis that we wanted to just look back at the news and events of the week that was and really talk about things that are important in a rational sane way, quite in contrast to the blaring headlines that you often hear uh, on the news media and we hope that uh, we've been able to achieve that over the over the week uh, over the years now. Thanks also to everyone who supported us in this journey uh, it really means a lot to us uh, to nirav abhishek and myself that you guys tune in every week uh, to listen to you know what we have uh, really means a lot thank you so much for that abhishek nirav the 100th weekly what do you guys feel no it's, it's like a fantastic thing it's like i'm surprised at our own consistency within like across like people's travels travel plan and uh, some people being available not available through covid through everything i think all of us have come together and uh, actually even for myself just by being on the show or reading up before makes me more informed of the current affairs as well right so it's been a good habit upward and onward and uh, bharatvarta apart from the weekly right like the uh, regular week, the episodes during the week are also like really fantastic so i started off as a listener and then became a contributor so uh, feels really really nice Yeah thank you uh, Nirav and thank you Abhishek as well for being an integral part of the journey really it's been amazing fun catching up with you guys on the weekend uh, and talking about the news thanks also to a very talented producer Anirudh who you don't hear and see but uh, but it's been it's been a rare pleasure working with you folks All right. Well, like always, uh, we'll bring you the news and events of the week that was, and it was quite an eventful week, I should say. Kingfisher tycoon Vijay Mallya was sentenced to jail. Finally, RBI's new measures, uh, you know, couple of those, uh, one to position the rupee as a currency for international trade, and the other uh, against the BNPL startups that have come up. Uh, then there was the Katsa waiver by the US. uh then we had a new nam- nomination for the vice president mr jagdeep dankar and also we had an interesting showdown b- between uh, the chief justice uh, nv ramana and minister kiran rijiju all of this and more before that i mean we should talk about the the episode that we put out last week uh, right abhishek i mean did you happen to catch the episode Yes, yes, yeah, definitely watched it. So, uh, as usual, right, as we expect from Mr. Gokhale, very insightful on a number of topics. I think we initially thought it would be purely a discussion on the Sri Lanka situation, but the discussion moved along quite seamlessly to a number of topics, and especially on his, you know, particular area of expertise, which is the India-China uh, relation. And so he gave a lot of, uh, you know, insightful uh, view. and also some let's say little alarming predictions on the possibility of an uh, india china uh, skirmish or war breaking out in the next few months right and a lot of that has to do with how the internal politics of the ccb and how xi jinping is feeling about his position uh, within the party and all that and you know how that plays out uh, and you know how he might use another border conflict with india to sort of strengthen than his position in the party uh definitely an interesting episode do check it out if you haven't already wide varying conversation on geopolitics and wonderfully marshaled uh, by velina chakrova as well all right let's move on to the first piece of news kingfisher tycoon vijay malya has been sentenced to jail the supreme court has sentenced uh, tycoon vijay malya to 4 months in jail for disobeying an earlier court judgment linked to the collapse of his airline 
India has previously made efforts to extradite the former billionaire who is believed to be in London. Mr. Malia has fought extradition from the UK to India, where he faces charges including fraud. Mr. Malia faces a number of charges related to alleged financial irregularities at Kingfisher Airlines. He left India in 2016 after defaulting on debts of more than $1 billion. Well, Nirav, I mean, I think this was long expected. Four months in jail. Uh, what do you think about it? Okay, so while he has like a lot of cases pending against him, the particular particular case where he's been sentenced is that he has transferred $40 million to his relatives while not paying his other debts, defaulting on other debts, right? So this money from Kingfisher Airlines was due to the creditors of Kingfisher uh, rather than his own family members. Within the creditors, it is employees, it is people who have lent them money, it is like suppliers, if possibly for fuel, etc. Right? So they have, so on this particular default, uh, what he's been told is to, one is pay $40 million plus 8% interest since 2016. Uh, he's been told a 2000 rupee fine, which tells you like some of our court judgments or courts, how kind of like out of touch or maybe these are all hard coded in the legal framework over a long time but like 2000 rupees seems like a very trivial amount uh, his sentence is four months and if he refuses uh, if he is unable to pay the 40 million plus the fine it can be extended to two more months so this seems like very trivial compared to like what the amount was there anyways the good thing is uh, he has been sentenced to jail. Uh, there has been proper due process which has been followed. Uh, there's a lot of legal backlog. I, I do agree that it's maybe probably a bit too late. But still, uh, Vijay Walia with the best of lawyers couldn't get a judgment in his favor. Which shows that at least he was given a fair chance to prove his side. right? And as for the law of the land, whatever is the punishment has been uh, given. Now the question is the, how do we extradite him out from UK or wherever else now he might have gone from UK, right? We wouldn't know that at the moment or at least uh, as like contributors to Bharat Vartha. Uh, maybe the Indian authorities do know, but it is about getting him back and uh, also trying to uh, get the money back to pay the creditors of uh, Kingfisher Airlines. The biggest one was Yuko Bank, but obviously there are a lot of them, including the employees who are not paid salary for about 15 months. It's a positive development. We've had Quite a few fugitives, uh, big defaulters who uh, run out of India, I think. The good part, so one is a bad part about the legal system is the backlog. But the good part is that we are following due process and not declaring people guilty unless proven, right, in court. Yeah, there's like the positive angle to look at it. Like the judgment has been done, but like it's to effectively uh, give the punishment, we need to get him back. And uh, maybe uh, this case might go in appeal. Uh, maybe there might be, if we can, he can like, uh, pay back the money or something there could be some sort of uh, leniency or clemency if he cooperates so uh, this is not over yet but the first step this has been done and i think it's a very positive thing uh, hopefully we kind of move ahead like on similar cases there are quite a few one of them being my namesake Nirav Modi another one being another Lalit Modi so who's again in the news for other reasons so Lalit Modi just took the internet by storm last week right i mean good for him the U.S. House of Representatives have voted for an India-specific CATSA waiver. The legislative amendment was introduced by Indian-American Congressman Ro Khanna. It urges the Biden administration to provide India with a CATSA waiver to help deter aggressors like China. In his remarks on the House floor, Mr. Khanna said, There is no relationship of greater significance to the U.S. strategic interests than the India-U.S. partnership. 
the legislation says that the united states india initiative on critical and emerging technologies icet is a welcome and essential step to developing closer partnerships between the two countries abhishek this is pretty significant right yeah so if you recall our episode on indo india america relations with ashish and sunanda ji right we had discussed this topic in details there right and we were all of the opinion that it will be tough but i think india will definitely get the waiver in the end right so just to give a recap for folks this catsa act uh, basically talks about sanctioning countries who have significant transactions with three of america's adversaries uh, russia iran and north korea and india by buying the s400 missile defense systems was definitely in violation of this act right with another country which had purchased those missiles was turkey and they had been sanctioned under this in the last few years uh, india america relations have been on an improving trend i would say with uh, the added importance of the threat of china on various fronts right i think the americans are now quite vocal about it on various forums right whether it is the quad or whether it is you know even in their domestic politics right past i think uh, as you said in a bipartisan way with about 330 out of 420 votes uh, approximately in the house only five democrats voted against it and about 85 republicans now the five democrats who voted against this were all members of the what trump coined the squad right it was people like uh, aoc rashid atleb and ilan omar etc who were the five who did not vote in favor of this cats away but for india now, why the republicans voted some of the republicans voted against it is not yet clear but it some of it could be just partisan politics that i will just oppose anything which the ruling party proposes right without really any logic to it uh, so yeah i think the next steps are that the senate will probably do a bipartisan you know passage of similar amendment right and then it's up to the white house right the president uh, joe biden to then finally ratify it uh, but yeah i think uh, overall this is a pretty good step for india us relations because all it would do is actually i don't think any particular catsa sanction would hurt india too much but it would definitely sour the relations between the two countries right and to pro- pro- provide a road block i think it makes uh, pragmatic sense for the americans to sort of do this one of the interesting things he talked about while talking on this on the floor was that look uh, india is dependent on on uh, russian weapons that is a sort of legacy issue what we need to do as americans is also to provide india with you know options for buying from america right uh, and so i think this is kind of the things that all of us talked about right when there was a lot of uh, noise about india buying uh, russian oil or not condemning uh, russia in the un right and that is because india has legacy dependence on Russia and its uh, arms system. So good to see U.S. politicians also recognizing it, even though Twitter think tankers were uh, going ballistic about uh, India and Russia. But at least their politicians are having more sanity than their Twitter think tankers. Yeah. Also, it's a useful lesson that you all you should always negotiate from a position of strength, right? I mean, Abhishek, you know, we did this episode uh, a long while back, which you referenced, right? Uh, the one on you know how India-US relations will change uh, under the Biden administration. Uh, looking back, you know, I think we probably did that in Jan of this year, right? Or probably last year, uh, last year, 
right uh, looking back i mean how do you think that has played out i think we got pretty much all our predictions spot on and that is despite so many dramatic world events happening right from yeah. afghanistan to ukraine i think Uh, pretty much all our predictions were spot on and that kind of shows that the india us relationship is now on a much more predictable and stable trajectory right because of let's say the work done in the last 20 years from bush vajpayee manmohan singh obama modi trump biden right all the leaders have sort of been positive and committed to this relationship Yeah, uh, do go back and listen to that episode. We'll probably link it in the description. It was uh, with Abhishek, Ashish, and Sunanda ji, uh, and quite a wide-varying conversation as well on various facets of how the India-US uh, relationship can, you know, potentially change uh, with the new administration or then new administration. Moving on, the RBI has put up a new mechanism. in place to facilitate international trade in rupees this move will allow india to facilitate trades with countries under sanction like iran and russia it will also increase the strength of the rupee in forex trade all exports and imports under this arrangement may be denominated and invoiced in indian rupees and the exchange rate between the currencies of the two trading partner countries may be market determined indian exporters using this mechanism will be paid the export proceeds in inr from the balances in the designated special vostro account of the correspondent bank of the partner country uh nirav we did uh, you know an episode um, along with mohal on the reserve currency and so on and you know i think one of the thesis in that episode was that you know this this uh, dollar as the unanimous uh, standard for reserve currency might is definitely going to change uh, we're already seeing you know plenty of action around that uh so first of all could you explain this in simpler terms what it means yeah, right sure. and and also so say, and also talk about the significance of it yeah so for example i think basically when india buys oil from russia or from uae or saudi arabia right uh the payment is made in dollars so uh that was previously so say let's let's take an example with uae where india buys oil from uh, uae so india needs to have dollars in its account then uae all the oil that it sells globally will have always some surplus dollar in its account so everybody needs to have dollar cash balances when a bank has dollar deposits then they need to have some dollar loans with that money that they have uh, which usually they buy us treasuries right so what this has done globally is that there is a need for everybody to hold some surplus cash in dollars right so there is it is a global reserve currency everybody needs because your payments there could be some we won't all, always operate like a just in time framework so everybody needs dollars to settle any global trade let it be two different countries india buying mobile phones from china same thing right both will have to have some surplus cash kept in dollars so this is why there was excess demand for dollars also this allowed that us feels that you are not complying with values which i hold or you are not doing it could be the global police man that venezuela is doing something which i don't like or north korea is doing something which i don't like or sudan is doing something which i don't like libya i can freeze your dollar accounts right i can uh, remove you from swift which is the payment system it's a european system for cross border trade so uh, this kind of allowed them uh, there is this gives us a bit of leverage right so now what has happened is the oil trade which is a pretty much the biggest component but also arms for example which india buys from russia will now even if it is referenced in say us dollar that you say okay oil price is 105 dollars per barrel convert that into indian rupees multiply by 79 point something 
and this many rupees india will pay russia and we have a rupee ruble line so there's a system of nostro vostro account so basically russia having an account in india in rupees is a vostro account and the corresponding account is a nostro account right both india and russia will have uh, settled their trade in rupees or rubles uh, india has a trade deficit versus russia right now so either now there is two things one is maybe indian exporters of manufactured goods so probably uh, russia buys some cars from india or so could buy hypothetically could buy mahindra or tata safari suvs or buy like indian motorcycles or other manufactured goods maybe india uh, give contracts to indian software services providers or with the surplus rupees that they have in their account maybe they can buy gold or probably buy like indian government bonds or indian corporate bonds etc right keep some cash money in rupees so what this does at the margin even if global trade is denominated in dollars at the margin both these countries need to hold a little bit less dollars in their accounts right russia is anyways banned so this takes out a little bit demand for us government debt if more countries around the world start doing this you will see that the marginal demand reduces a bit this is not any catastrophe this doesn't change much uh, global trade is still denominated in us dollars uh, it's a easier function us however kind of brickbats that it gets uh, moving to like uh, china which is like a much bigger trade partner to the whole world now compared to the us uh, probably is worse that china could be like a much stricter policeman and seize your assets so that might be even worse so people are not going to move away easily from dollars but this gives this gives something of a, a side steps sanctions right and this allows like a kind of a like parallel shunt route for the global trade to go on right now what is happening is india is buying russian crude at a discount uh, india is importing more crude than it can consume so now it's selling refined products uh, like diesel apparently to europe so instead of european countries buying russian crude refining it and producing diesel they are buying it via india uh, but uh, that is the way it is this is like much bigger transportation costs uh, much bigger insurance costs but uh, finally the consumer is paying more over there which is leading to higher inflation and uh, this is the kind of payments facility which has been done so this is an immediate effect is probably just russia and sri lanka so sri lanka right now india has given it a credit line in rupees using those rupees they can import things from india uh, they are facing a crisis as well at the moment uh, they have a big shortage of us dollars so instead of india lending us dollars from its own reserves india is lending out rupees so this is one thing finally uh, if we really uh, expand this further right uh, india is we are not going to see much bigger impact as much as like people might want to hype it up because right now india imports more than it exports and uh, for other countries rupee is not freely convertible you can't easily convert rupees to something else and move it out uh, trade it all around the world uh, like say between india and china or india and saudi we can transact in dollars two different countries can't transact in rupees so rupees you have to end up buying things from india but india is trying to build up its manufacturing base manufacturing core india is trying to liberalize its agriculture see we kind of had a lot of export bans on agriculture but now slowly and steadily we want to move away from growing only cereals which are just uh, held in fci godowns to maybe growing more fruits vegetables flowers and like other value added products which can be exported so hopefully india moves towards a more balanced trade and uh, indian uh, software exports also grow uh, not just the traditional big software companies but saas company software as a service companies like zoho and there are many other startups in this field right so so once that happens uh, maybe rupee will be a little more freely traded but uh, earlier see our mindset of rbi and the regulators and the indian government was that
that uh, Indian rupee uh, was always maintained at a level which was like kind of overvalued versus what it should have been. And hence, we don't want to invoice it. What if other people take the currency or what if other people short sell the currency, etc, etc. We're trying to slowly open up our capital account, right? We, we've in 1999-2000, uh, we allowed foreigners to invest in Indian equities. That has gone quite well. We've, we've seen like VCs putting in money. You've seen like foreign direct investment starting from 1991. Actually, since early 80s, since like Hero Honda and Maruti were set up, right? So we've seen like some progressive steps over a period of time. And this is just another step. It is not a magic bullet. This is not going to change much. Rupee is not going to strengthen just because of this. At the margin right now, only two major cases are, uh, it facilitates trade between Russia and India. And it facilitates India giving aid to Sri Lanka, which in rupees, in Indian rupees, not Sri Lankan rupees. In Indian rupees, it's a lot easier. And uh, maybe this sets up all the infrastructure uh, further down the line. I think Indian UPI and uh, in Singapore, they wanted to have a connect where remittances, uh, say like people like me in Singapore, if I want to transfer money to my friends or family members, that would make it easier and like uh, frictionless. So those things are all in the pipeline. Uh, this will happen. And uh, this is quite a prudent step. Like it was kind of required. Uh, this is also uh, telling rest of the world that uh, like India will do things in its own interest and is not going to follow other people's lines or like other people's dictates. And India has the infrastructure to sidestep certain regulations which may not or like some sanctions which India may not agree with, right? Or may not be in India's best interest. So uh, that's a good thing. It's a good signal as well. But economic impact, I would say, is marginal at best. Uh, the next thing you mentioned was about like the regulation on BNPL. See, uh, banks, we had an episode and we discussed this earlier uh, about like the NBFCs and banking licenses. I think, uh, Nira, before that, I think we should just clarify. Uh, so the Reserve Bank has also made a new rule to disallow loading prepaid uh, payment instruments, PPI, uh, basically, and this will impact around 8-10 million customers who are part of this uh, buy now, pay later universe, right? And that is what uh, Nirav is going to talk about. Yeah, so on the buy, see what is there is all these uh, buy now, pay later, right? Or like any form of lending, it is your borrowing short term because all these entities, uh, they all borrow short term via deposits and then they lend you long term, right? It is all fine until you can't, you can't uh, roll over your uh, liabilities, right? Or you have like a lot of asset quality deterioration where there are a lot of defaults. So this part is, see, buy now, pay later is always like, feels always good in a bull market cycle when things are all going fine. Everybody wants to repay their debt, right? Everybody who takes a loan says, oh, you know what? I feel, I want to make this impulsive purchase. It makes me feel happy for the moment. I'll go and buy like a fancy watch or a, or a, a, a new mobile phone or some speakers or whatever it is, right? New clothes and I'll pay it over a period of time. But uh, people, sometimes there are like adverse effects. People lose their jobs. People have other emergency expenses and they can't pay back. And then there is some people who are willful defaulters who may have the ability, but not the desire to pay, right? The intention to. Pay. So these things actually like, which tells you like the whole system is actually like fragile or like you can say it has negative skew or negative convexity that you make a little bit of money, which is a spread on your loans between the rate that you lend out to and the rate you borrow. Or in the case of a bank, you borrow from depositors and you lend out to uh, borrowers, uh, this spread is very small. And so you can't have uh, NPS more than three, four percent. It kind of hits your income profits, right? So, uh, and that is why banks everywhere in the world, they are very well-regulated entities. Uh, they have to follow a lot of uh, regulatory ratios. They need to put a certain amount aside as cash reserve ratio, some in like government debt, etc. right? So NBFCs, which are non-banking finance companies, uh, were like a little bit light touch regulation. Uh, 
like this was like a regulatory loophole which a uh, lot of people exploited could grow fast you could have like more leverage in the system uh, for housing finance companies actually that has been kind of like clamped down a bit which is one of the reasons why hdfc limited and hdfc bank are merging right because now there is no uh, regulatory advantage of having a separate housing finance company so rather just merge it with the bank anyway so that has been one thing but so these buy now pay later companies are even lightly very lightly regulated right so i think that is where rbi has come in and been prudent because what happens is in like an upcycle in a vc fueled boom everybody starts to grow very fast and when you grow very fast you lend out money freely assuming that the growth is enough that uh, you can handle a few defaults and a few adverse events but when the tide turns right this is always it uh, uh, hits very badly and then that time the losses have to be eventually socialized because some people start complaining etc and politically it's a very difficult problem so rbi here is trying to be a bit more prudent uh, trying to keep this uh, if you want to have like a buy now pay later system uh, you can use credit cards or you there are like other regulated uh, nbfcs i am not promoting anyone but like one of the name which comes to my is uh, bajaj finance right like just as a retail consumer so there are other avenues uh, maybe the whole bnpl needs to be regulated a bit better uh, also there is a whole concept about predatory lending right or like uh, usury lending where uh, people are like uh, incentivized and they don't read fine print uh, don't get the difference between a simple and compound interest and that what frequency is it compounded so whole thing needs a little bit of regulation there are other avenues there are credit cards there are bank loans there are i don't know debit card loans etc there is like financing provided by the seller themselves so there are multiple other avenues so uh, this is just a place where there is some regulation needed because unchecked growth in these areas right they are sowing the seeds for the next crisis so i think it's just prudent rbi yes you can accuse them of being more conservative than what they should be at times uh, maybe they are right now but i kind of agree with uh, the steps taken maybe there has to be some discussion with uh, all these uh, lenders and uh, some middle ground could be found but uh, this is i think a fair uh, prudent regulation before any crisis hits us yeah i could not agree more actually right uh, because see these are realms where i don't think it can function in a completely laissez faire uh, kind of a fashion right uh, nobody is arguing that uh, you know bnpl is not useful in fact uh, in a country like india which is so famously credit starved uh, and where you know less than 3% of people own credit cards and so on uh, alternate forms of uh, funding financing credit is always welcome uh, right but uh, you know few things that nirav mentioned i think which uh, we should talk about one is that lending is essentially a collections business right finding credit worthy people is uh, people or institutions is very important uh, and there is usually a lag between the cycle of lending or dispersals and collections uh, right uh, and so if you're not prudent in that first uh, you know uh, first aspect of that cycle uh, it can hit you very badly uh, at the latter aspect uh, right and we've seen the debt and npa crisis you know 3 4 ba- years back and um, you know one of the great things uh, is that you know we've been able to come out of that right and a lot of cleanup has happened on that front um, and if you look at the retail aspect of things right i mean lot of the bnpl folks right now at least the startups uh, you know the the products are basically funding consumption right i mean these are not people who are buying 
to let's say invest in businesses uh, or uh, you know you know invest in education or you know something which is a meaningful investment right i mean these are people who are perhaps buying a pair of sneakers or uh, you know something else which is uh, well i mean no judgment here but it is what it is right it's funding for consumption um and you know if it is unchecked right this can totally lead people to ruin right i mean you've seen you've seen this play out in the us for example right where uh, where debt is such a huge problem i mean you have this concept of payday loans for in, for instance and uh, that has just spiraled out of control there right uh, and some of the interest charges uh, that uh, the bnpl folks uh, um, charge right i mean is is insane right i have seen one kid pay you know 16% interest for a late payment 16 17% right i mean you know uh, there are checks and balances in terms of who you give a credit card to uh, right i mean it's not easily available you have to have a certain set of uh, credit score credit scores to be able to avail that facility but imagine you know uh, you know someone in college or uh, you know much less in school having to pay 16 17% interest right i mean you're leading that person uh, to ruin right the other thing is now that the funding cycle has uh, turned right we have seen you know for instance klarna which was one of the largest bnpl startups uh, take a haircut of almost 85% in their valuation right the valuation dropped from 45 46 billion down to 6 or 7 billion now with that happening all of these folks are you know pressed for profitability right i mean all of these folks have that pressure uh, to turn over a dollar and uh, my hunch my my guess is that you know they will start squeezing the juice out of uh, you know all of their users and customers right because the party has clearly ended uh, right uh, even in india which has as much of a runway because i mean you know uh, we are not overly financialized like the rest of the countries um, and we have really a long long way to go even here i think you know uh, mindless customer acquisition through offers and discounts will um, you know uh, will will uh, slow down at least if not end uh, so definitely at the right move by rbi to look at this space and kind of regulate it i would only say that you know rbi should perhaps work in cohesion with some of these entities right keep them informed on their thinking in terms of why they are uh, considering policy and regulation on this front uh, and actively work to sort of clear the ambiguity and uh, uh, you know open it up for innovation because you know god knows we need credit right in this country for sure um, so nirav i mean we spoke about india us relations before this right i mean uh, i wonder you know how this whole rupee as international currency would kind of affect what do you what do you think so i think uh, the us would look at it as uh, there has to be some sort of uh, trade between india and russia like it's something which they don't want but they can't really avoid right and so they just want to like look away earlier uh, india had this with iran as well where india imported oil from iran and uh, iran had an account with uco bank uh, they imported i think rice and wheat from india uh, but the rest of the balances were just kept in the washto account in india right so that was there where till like some point where they could buy enough from us so the other thing is uh, what will probably happen is that say there are countries where india has like a trade surplus say for example maybe sri lanka and maybe maybe russia wants to buy tea from sri lanka for example now with the rupee in their account they can buy tea from sri lanka and settle in rupees but even look at like whatever trade india has with the trade partners i think india's biggest trade partner is actually china right now uh, then second is i think us uh, third is uh, uae where traditionally we always been buying most of our oil from uae and then saudi right uh, so uh, for india's trade itself uh, russia and sri lanka sri lanka falls like way 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 behind right so this is not going to change much this is not going 
to change much. Uh, US, while it is aware, sometimes it might just be allowing these things as sort of like a necessary step. Uh, and uh, US right now needs India a lot more as a counterweight to China. That is why similarly, CATSA uh, waiver has been given, etc., etc. And uh, China has been trying to settle uh, its trade in uh, Ranminbi, Chinese Yuan, for like a long time. So that has been happening marginally in steps. Uh, a lot of the loans on the Belt and Road Initiative are in Chinese Ranminbi. So they give a loan to you in Chinese Yuan, which you give back to the Chinese contractors who kind of build it. Like for example, uh, the China-Pakistan Economic Corridor, right? You are given a loan and then that, all that money goes back to Chinese contractors and you're left paying interest on the loan back. So uh, that has been happening. Uh, maybe like as we discussed with Mohan, more and more countries might do this at the margin. But uh, for now, I don't see uh, the global trade or the prices being uh, discovered in another currency. Like you will say that, yes, price of crude oil is still so many dollars, US dollars per barrel, which converted at today's rate for Indian rupee or like in Russian ruble. This is the equivalent amount in this currency and we will transact in that. So uh, it kind of sidesteps the payment. But I don't think the US or in change in the reserve currency changes. Maybe if all of this happens more, we will see less amount of uh, dollars being held in spare accounts. But it is like, to be frank, it's marginal at best. It is maybe it's a step towards a multipolar world, but uh, it is first step in like a, I don't know, kilometers long yeah. journey, right? So, well, uh, all right. On the national front, uh, Mr. Jagdeep Dankar has been nominated as the BJP's vice president candidate. The announcement was made by BJP chief JP Nanda following the party's parliamentary board meeting held in Delhi. Mr. Nanda said Dankarji is a Kisan Putra or a son of a farmer who established himself as a people's governor. Mr. Modi was all praised for the new candidate, tweeting that Mr. Dankar was known for his humility and brings with him an illustrious legal, legislative and gubernatorial career. Uh, well, Abhishek, you have uh, you have someone from your state, uh, you know, rise up to be VP. What do you what do you think? Yeah, so to be precise, uh, Mr. Dhankar is from Rajasthan actually. He's been but he's the, the West Bengal governor. Governor right? of yeah. West Bengal uh, since 2019. So yeah, as you said, he comes from uh, a jat farmer family and perhaps uh, the uh, son of a farmer uh, tag is somewhat important in the political context today with, you know, BJP trying to uh, improve its image, you know, in the Western UP, uh, Haryana, Rajasthan belt, Punjab belt uh, in light of the uh, farmers agitation on the farm laws, right? Uh, coming to Mr. Dhankar, uh, he was, uh, he's an advocate who's, uh, you know, practiced at High Court, Supreme Court for many years. I think he was a uh, minister in, uh, or firstly, he was an MLA and uh, in Rajasthan Assembly and then uh, an MP, or I think he started off in the Janta Dal, right? And he was part of the cabinet of Mr. Chandrasekhar briefly uh, in the 89-90 kind of time frame. And then uh, he, he joined the BJP in around 2003. And then he sort of uh, got into limelight uh, once he was appointed as uh, the governor of West Bengal, right? And his tenure has been marked with uh, a lot of conflict with uh, TMC and Mamta Banerjee, right? So he has been outspoken on case 
cases of uh, political violence, uh, corruption, and so on. Uh, so much so that um, you know, it's quite hilarious that people said that you know Mamta Banerjee had blocked him on Twitter or something like that. Right? Uh, she also uh, passed a law in the assembly so that the governor can no longer be the chancellor of all state universities. Typically, uh, governors are the chancellors, right? And so she passed a law so that you know Mr. Dhankar can no longer be the chancellor of all uh, West Bengal universities. So yeah, uh, his tenure has been marked with a lot of conflict with the ruling party there. Um, he's also uh, tried to make the governor's house like the people's house and you know allowed much more access to the common public uh, at large right to visit and maybe have interactions with the governor so yeah definitely an interesting personality i think he will uh, he's quite an articulate person uh, in both hindi and english so uh, his role as vice president uh, requires that right because you are basically the speaker of the rajya sabha right and so uh, uh, just like mr naidu uh, did a good job on that front as well, right? I think uh, if elected, Jagdeep Dhankar will also prove to be pretty good uh, in terms of, you know, conducting the proceedings of the Rajya Sabha. Uh, and finally, the Chief Justice of India, N.V. Ramana, has responded to concerns raised by the Union Minister for Law and Justice, Mr. Kiran, Rij- Kiran uh, Rijiju. He stated that the non-filling up of judicial vacancies was a major reason for the pending of cases in the country. Uh, Ramana and Rijiju were attending the All India Legal Services Authority meet at Jaipur. CJ Ramana also called for steps to address the grave issues of the high number of under-trial prisoners that is affecting the criminal justice system. He described jails as, to quote, black boxes and said that prisons have a different impact on different categories of prisoners. Uh, Mr. Ramana also said that prolonged incarceration on in huge numbers without a trial needs attention. However, he said that the goal should not be limited to enabling the early re- release of uh, under-trial prisoners. Um, Abhishek, I mean, we spoke about this, you know, a few, a few weeklies back as well. Uh, there's this strange kind of a tension between the judiciary and the executive, right? I mean, which is kind of perennial. I guess it dates back to uh, well before this government as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, you see this remarks being exchanged changed um what do you what do you think yeah so these remarks happened when both of them were in uh, attending the same program right so mr rijiju made the talking point that you know there are five crore pending cases in india and that is a concern etc etc and so the chief justice of india also said that you know i cannot let that comment pass without giving a reply to it right and so he basically said that the blame is on the executive because they have not been been, you know, appointing uh, all the vacancies, filling up all the vacancies of uh, judicial officers and judges at various lower courts throughout the country, right? And I guess both are right. It's like a chicken and egg problem. I think the one thing the judiciary uh, and judiciary in India makes comments and remarks on all sorts of topics. The only thing they don't talk about is that in the current system, now it seems they are not accountable to anyone, right? And so it's a sort of unique uh, situation that has developed over the years, how the judiciary has developed in India, right? And so, yeah, I think this tension will continue, right? Because, uh, you know, we have on one hand a very powerful uh, government in, in terms of its mandate, right? Uh, with getting elected in large numbers, but at the same time, often the judiciary uh, takes the front foot or initiative on many cases, right? Often 
sometimes encroaching on the area of the executive as well right you know passing remarks and comments and judgments on all sorts of manners right the other thing that he talked about is also an interesting topic right uh, which is that i mean i think all of us would uh, can sympathize right that there are many people who languish in prisons as under trials you know without getting proper trial but it's all part of the same systemic problem right where there is a lack of judicial capacity uh, there is a big backlog of cases and so everything is getting delayed right even not only do cases not get resolved but also our police work and things like that right to move the process along quicker that is also impacted so you know judicial reform and police reforms also have to sort of go hand in hand unfortunately i think uh, there is not really enough uh, political uh, gain or capital sort of to accrue by working on these things right because people really don't know right like if you try to reform the judiciary chances are uh, chief justices will sort of strike back right and so they everyone wants to sort of people to focus on things that do not <laughs> bother them right uh, directly and so there is a bit of you know the blame being passed around instead of people saying okay these are three things that we will do right you, you are the chief justice of india i mean you are also a very powerful person right and so uh, you know he didn't really talk about what three things he would do right to improve the situation today and so yeah i mean it's a bit of an unfortunate situation uh, and a comment on you know the rather poor state of our judicial reforms and police reforms as well uh no i think uh, you know we are a young democracy relatively uh, right uh, and i think plenty of these things have to be reformed uh, police reforms judicial reforms uh, uh, you know god knows there are half a dozen other things that uh, require reforms uh, right uh, hopefully saner minds uh, prevail and we are able to work through these issues in a bipartisan way um, all right so that brings us to the end of the weekly we have a couple of interesting episodes coming up uh, i spoke to abhishek murarka who's the head of growth and community at multipi uh, which is a social network for investors exclusively for investors um, abhishek who is at abhi murarka a b h y murarka m u r a r k a and uh, um, multipi post uh, you know some of the most interesting and useful and insightful content on equity and markets uh, and economy on twitter uh, definitely follow them uh, and we had you know a long wide ranging conversation on how to invest uh, you know how the do, how does some of these macro things affect us uh, and some of the sectors he's bullish on uh, so yeah for new investors and we've had you know record number of investors coming into the market over the last couple of years uh, this could be a very good primer for you to understand how the markets work uh, so definitely check that out uh, we also have uh, prominent author and social activist uh, from the pasmanda muslim community mr fayaz ahmed faizi who will going who's going to be appearing on bharat varta um, sharan shetty of uh, swaraja will be interviewing him uh, by by the way i mean i'm not sure if you guys uh, checked out uh, this uh, feature called sources say uh, by swaraja right i mean they featured uh, prakash belavadi the actor uh, and seems to be a very fun sort of a, a, a youtube segment that they've launched uh, definitely check that out uh, so yeah we'll have mr fayaz on the uh, podcast as well if you have any questions uh, please do let us know um, yeah so a lot of interesting comments i mean a lot of interesting content coming up 
so from nirav abhishek and myself just want yeah. to add one thing so while we were having this podcast uh, pv sindhu just won the women's singles in the singapore oh, wow. badminton open so beat uh, wang jiayi of uh, china in three sets so that just popped up Amazing. so uh, yes like sindhu uh, this is like part of the super series where there are like equivalent like in tennis how you have four grand slams in uh, badminton you have 13 and one of them is held in singapore right now uh, in previous years i want to see those games uh, for uh supporting saina nehwal and our men's badminton players uh, p kashyap but this time i kind of missed it and uh, yeah so that's another good news to uh, before we end this episode yeah uh, and also we had the long jumper shri shankar uh, qualify for the world championships as well right so yes and he he came seventh in the finals uh, with the uh, longest jump uh, his uh, record of 7.96 meters where the gold was 8.36 but that's the first one indian who's reached the final eight right so uh, that itself is an achievement hopefully he gets us a medal in uh, upcoming uh, commonwealth games or asian games etc so fantastic uh, that's a great note to end the podcast on uh, again thank you so much for your support uh, folks uh, really means a lot uh, for all of us here at bharatvartha um, you know keep your content i mean keep your comments suggestions all of those coming in you can reach out to us uh, on social media where at bharatvartha on all platforms twitter instagram and facebook um, see you next week have a great week ahead thank you